I'm Thoreau Rogan. And I'm Gobble Tom. I stole this joke. I, I saw this on Twitter last night, and I thought it was genius. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the, it's, it's obviously a play on Aaron Rodgers. <laughs> <laughs> so, wait, Dave, we've been away for a while. Yes. What, um, what, what happened? Oh, man. Lots of stuff happened. The 49ers have, like, stumbled their way to the NFC Championship game somehow. <laughs> um, you know, I've had two COVID scares, but I haven't yet gotten COVID. Yeah, the last time we did an episode was like pre Omicron. Yeah. <laughs> so there was a whole wave like in the in the span of time since we uh we spoke. So before we get started, we should cue the cue the theme music. One day we were driving about a mile from our house and there's this intersection kind of by this big open field and there's two gas stations on the opposite corners and there's this whole gaggle of turkeys that live right there at the intersection and they're always, it's a super busy intersection, but they're always getting up in the middle of it and just like chilling in the middle of the road. <laughs> like every time we go there, they're in the middle of the road. It's really annoying. And one day they were like literally in the crosswalk and this... <laughs> Woman gets out of the car and starts chasing them across the crosswalk. And I go, why did the turkey cross the road? Because a white lady was chasing it. <laughs> and Marlo thought that was the funniest thing in the world. Now so it's then, her joke probably, right? She goes yeah, so school. then she proceeds to tell people this at school with no context for it. <laughs> yeah, I remember being chased by a turkey at Davis and thinking... If this thing catches me, I'm not going to be able to fight back because if anybody saw me abusing a turkey, I would probably mm -hmm. be ostracized from the Davis community. Totally. What's the equivalent of choking a chicken with a turkey? <laughs> <laughs> Throttling the gobble. Thro th <laughs> Throbbing the goblin. <laughs> that's, a, that's a different. Speaking of goblins. <laughs> yeah, speaking of goblins. So yeah, we got we got kind of a uh, a mixed uh, grab bag of stuff today here, but do. Uh, highlighted by our discussion on Goblin Core, <laughs> which I was just talking to Emily about it. And she's like, "What is Goblin Core?" I'm like, "You know, I don't really, I don't know, but like, it kind of is what it sounds like, right?" Yeah, I, I was reading about Goblin Core, and it seems to me that you know it's it's sort of an aesthetic that has a lot of different reaches. Right. Mm -hmm. It's not just clothing. It's mm -hmm. everything from wearing goblin type ears and um, dressing your house up. Apparently there was something called cottage core. Mm -hmm. And that's sort of like the cheery flip side of goblin goblin core. Mm -hmm. But it, it seems like almost like kind of an escape from the absurdity of reality. Like, fine, if reality is going to be this stupid, we're just going to have fun with it. I can see cottage core to me is like each peach pear plum. Do you remember no, that book? I don't. Did you ever read that? Hmm. It's kind of a, it's got all the different, you know, fairy tale creatures all wrapped up in one. But there's a scene where the three bears, oh no, it's Robin Hood. Robin Hood lives in the forest, but he's got a house, like just in the forest, like kind of open air house with like pictures hanging on trees and things like that. Very idyllic looking. That to me is cottage core, whereas goblin core <laughs> is like rocks with moss on them mushrooms 
kind of popping up in the in the corner of your room like a giant african snail just like living in the front yard and then you befriend the african snail and it becomes your housemate i've said this before i'll say it again when i was a kid my obsession was having a, a swamp in my front yard you could get like walk out the front door and get in one of those long canoes and just <laughs> you, have, you have to like paddle your way across the swamp and then presumably you would get to the sidewalk this is just out on Marshall get, Road, like yeah, and just get out of get out of the swamp, get out of your canoe, get in the car, and go to work. I mean, that's kind of it's not Goblin Core, but it's it's creepy core. It's yeah, There's it's, a lot it's of sort of a pre. Here. It sounds like a precursor to Goblin Core. Yeah, did we put did, did we put any songs into a playlist? I don't think I got to it. No, we didn't. I did look through some playlists, and I was actually kind of disappointed with the music. Uh, it's like starting a Goblin Core playlist and then putting The Weeknd on it. It's like no, if you're gonna. <laughs> If you're gonna do, imagine dragons, <laughs> yeah. If you're gonna do a goblin core playlist, you got to find like stuff that actually sounds like music a goblin would make. The closest I I think is probably like Led Zeppelin, like yeah, like mid '70s Zeppelin, where they were really leaning into the uh, L- Lord of the Rings vibe. Yeah, living in um, uh, Alastair Crowley's old house on the mm-hmm. banks of Loch Ness. Mm-hmm. Exactly. <laughs> my mom thinks she saw a Loch Ness monster last week. By the way, was she in Scotland or was it just chilling up at? Well, Reading? no, no, it was. Yeah, it was. It was the American version. Okay. Um, she was kayaking on Whiskey Town Reservoir. Okay. And she saw she saw a little creature's head in the distance, and she was like, "Oh, it's a turtle." And as it got closer, she's like, "That is too big for a turtle. It must be an otter." And then it got closer, and she was like, "That is too big for an otter. I don't know what that is." And then it disappeared. We should go do a cryptid expedition and retrace her steps up there and see if we can find, I don't know what, uh, what the name of this creature would be, but whiskey town Wally. Yeah. <laughs> and then, and then maybe we could like spur some more tourism on for that town. You know, you yeah. go to the store and there'll be whiskey town Wally wallets and water bottles and stickers to put on your Jeep. Speaking of uh, cryptids, wasn't it amazing to watch Aaron Rodgers lose last night? It was. You know, honestly, I'm feeling as if the 49ers are destined to go to the Super Bowl at this point because they've had two of the most absurd wins in a row. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, in in the game against Dallas, you know, essentially Dallas had momentum at the end of the game and they were charging down the field and it was looking likely they were going to get a touchdown. But mm-hmm. they they didn't let the ref touch the ball before their play. And so the play got broken up and it was just this really weird ending of the game. And then to come to find out that green Bay didn't even field enough players on the field for the 49ers ending field goal. Like there's something out there that's, that's tripping up these other teams and they're going to give the entirely mediocre quarterback, Jimmy Garoppolo, the super bowl ring for some reason. <laughs> I mean, he's, he is, he is very mediocre, but he's also very sexy. So maybe that's why. I mean, he is the best looking quarterback in the NFL. Yeah. Like he looks yeah. like a I mean, damn model. Yeah. That counts for something, man. You got to give him some sort of reward for that. All right. So we moving on in our grab bag list to uh, bring me up to speed on the, the Nina Totenberg and the Supreme Court mask scandal. So Nina Totenberg reported that Sonia Sotomayor asked Neil uh, Gorsuch both justices on the Supreme Court asked him to wear a mask because she's diabetic um, and didn't want to be exposed to possible COVID. 
Neil Gorsuch did not wear a mask, and as a result, well, in theory, Sonia Sotomayor attended the hearings remotely via Zoom or something. So there was a little bit of a mini scandal, like, oh, Neil Neil Gorsuch didn't, you know, what a dick, he didn't um, wear the mask for Sonia Sotomayor. Well, then Sonia Sotomayor said, oh, well, you know, that didn't really ever happen. I never asked him to wear a mask. And then the NPR public editor, which who, are, who I don't know who they are, came out and said, oh, you know, it sounds more like it was suggested and not asked. Words matter. And I think Nina Totenberg should issue a retraction. And Nina Totenberg's reaction was like, uh, she, in, in her own words about Sonia Sotomayor, she can say any goddamn thing she wants. <laughs> <laughs> so it was wow. like this mini NPR scandal. And I was just musing about the fact that like, like what a minor scandal, right? It's essentially bickering about subtle word choice. So on one hand, you have Fox News where like 50% of the country get their entire news serving, the, the, all of their news. And they're sitting there shilling freaking horse pills and COVID conspiracies and all sorts of nonsense. And then you have NPR and like their big scandal is the, you know, whether Nita Puttenberg should use the word suggested or asked. <laughs> and i that's why i love npr man like they may be boring but goddamn, they are like really dedicated to responsible reporting have you been following speaking of npr the you know there's been several high profile uh departures among black women yeah. recently and i and haven't been following that closely but it's i did see that and it was kind of concerning i mean it's obviously like a company culture sort of situation but yeah, I would, I would be curious to to sort of delve into that more. Yeah, and I've been listening to NPR less just because I haven't been commuting, which is when I really got my mm-hmm. NPR diet, and I've been reading the newspaper more. Um, but I do really respect NPR as a news source, so I'd be curious to look into mm-hmm. that more. Okay, while we're while we're on the topic of politics, <laughs> <laughs> this bill in Florida that's that's making the ranks through the legislature. I always think we've reached the lowest point, and I don't, I don't know that we have. Basically, it's a bill that bans making white people feel guilty about racism. I think that's a fair assessment, but more <laughs> more specifically, it bans making people feel guilty about the history of injustice in in work trainings. Mm-hmm. It's it's really about these sort of like corporate uh, anti racism trainings. Can I just dub this the Karen Law? <laughs> it's actually called the the anti woke law w-o-k-e as an acronym oh man if i was a legislature i would have the most ridiculous acronyms i'd be like this is the goblin core law and maybe maybe, you know it'd be something about something serious like voting rights or something but it would have like a really ridiculous uh, acronym for the name for me like when i hear about something bad that happened in the past it's like yeah man that that was extremely terrible thing that happened but i don't personally go around feeling bad about it because what does that achieve i think it should spur people to want to make a better world mm-hmm. but Absolutely. i don't wallow in guilt but who are these people that get so offended by something that they can't they can't even see objectively why it's a bad thing they can only see it through their own frame of reference it's so selfish well and not only that it's not like like so they would have been the people who are being offended by this stuff would have been the beneficiaries in the past. And it's like mm-hmm. they're rejecting that this even existed, which is problematic, mm-hmm. right? If if you just, I mean, the, the old adage, those who 
forget history or doomed to repeat it, right? And mm-hmm. we need to face and face honestly what stuff that has happened in the past, and um, you know, try and make try and do better. You know, we're not we're not perfect. Never going to be. I was reading this article about climate change, but at the beginning they were talking about the Dutch East Indies company and their their search for a source of nutmeg. Long story short, they basically tried to set up a trade agreement with this these people on this island in Indonesia. The people in Indonesia rejected the trade agreement, so the Dutch just murdered them all and took over the island, and then they therefore controlled the nutmeg trade. Like that's just history. <laughs> you know what yeah. I mean? Like that's a shitty chapter of history that provides context about where we are now Mm -hmm. and if we just decide that we have we're going to refuse to (laughs) acknowledge that then yeah it makes it easier for us to to forget that like we've come we've we actually have come a long way in the world and Mm -hmm. we can we can easily like fall back into that behavior that's totally true (laughs) (laughs) So I, I wanted to also talk about the Matrix Resolutions, Re- okay. Resurrections, Matrix Resurrections, which it came out at the end of the year, so it should have been the Matrix Resolutions. It yeah. just been <laughs> everybody from the Matrix making their New Year's resolutions. <laughs> yeah, I'm curious what you think about this. I thought it was like really derivative, and I'm not going to say it was unnecessary because I feel like there was some artistic uh, artistic drive to it from, is it Lana Wachowski? Where she needed to kind of, yeah, and she needed to exercise her demons, sort of about uh, the Matrix. But like, there were way too many like literal flashbacks to the old movies where they would mm-hmm. cut over to the old movie for like thirty seconds. <laughs> yeah, the movie or the story would have been better told if they just would have forgotten all of the old characters and left them mm-hmm. like sort of in the story as history and explored the whole idea of. So what Neo did didn't fix everything, but it let the machines choose. And so there's now there's a group where it's like composed of humans and machines, and they're kind of coexisting, mm-hmm. and they're fighting the machines that are still hardcore anti-human. And I thought that was really interesting, and it would have been great to explore that through like a, a limited series or something rather than a movie. Mm-hmm. It was a perfectly valid way to spend two hours, but it didn't really excite me in any way it was just sort of like yeah. oh okay i mean I'd be, I'd be curious if we do if we do an episode around individualism i'd be curious to talk about this again you know it's very individualistic movie it's about the power of love and neo kind of like decides to potentially fuck up the <laughs> the sort of truce that they've made in this this world of there are these machines that have chosen to be with the humans and Ni- niobe even says you're going to ruin this whole thing if you go after trinity and he does it anyway i mean that's kind of that's kind of very American at its core, right? It it is, it is like fuck society. I'm gonna do what I need. I'm gonna get mine. <laughs> <laughs> I want to just do a shout out to to Ronnie Spector, R.I.P. I I started thinking about this with. Did you watch the Beatles documentary? I haven't finished it yet. I know it's it's really long. <laughs> it is. Oh my god. <laughs> you know, it's like it made me definitely reappreciate the album Let It Be. But thinking about Phil Spector after watching that and then kind of vaguely remembering news from, I don't know, 10, 15 years ago when he was charged with murder and just thinking about this dude was a horrible dude. And then yeah. when Ronnie Spector died, he was back in the news. I'd heard these stories a little bit, you know, growing up, but never really like knew a ton about Ronnie Spector. But basically, like he just totally torched her career, mm-hmm. basically imprisoned her in their house and threatened to kill her multiple times. 
and she had to escape and run barefoot out of her house. Even though she was like um, a founding a founding mother of rock and roll, like yeah. And then and then he wouldn't let he owned the songs, so he wouldn't let her play her songs, and it took her years to get the rights back. That's crazy. I mean, it's just crazy. Anyway, R.A.P. Ronnie Spector. So, I, I, speaking of music, I wanted to touch on. So, there's a really cool trend right now of having mm-hmm. musical numbers and superhero movies and shows and things and i'm just i'm absolutely mm-hmm. loving it as you know i'm i'm a i'm a fan so in hawkeye the the show basically starts off with clint barton attending a musical that has been made about the first avengers movie in universe <laughs> and it's it's pretty funny and it in fact stars i can't remember the guy's name but he played roger in the original cast of rent and at the end of the last episode, they actually show the whole musical number in, in full, and it's it's hilarious. It's meant to be bad, and it is bad, but it's it's funny. Mm-hmm. And then uh, in The Eternals, the way Kamil Nanjani's character is introduced is he has turned himself... He, so he's a being that sort of lived for thousands and thousands of years and sort of just interacted with humanity. <clears throat> uh, and he's turned himself into a Bollywood star, this generational Bollywood nice. star. So he's been like <laughs> the grandfather and the father and the current version. So th- that's the reason why he continues to to pop up and look the same. It's oh, it's not him. It was you know, it's his son. But the way they introduce him is if he's performing a Bollywood musical number where he's actually starring as one of the other characters in the movie. <laughs> <laughs> They're really leaning into the meta, yeah, like aspects of this. And then Peacemaker, which is a show on HBO plus starring John Cena. And it's sort of a sequel to James Gunn's the suicide squad. It started, every show starts off with this completely ridiculous musical number. And mm-hmm. you, it's sort of like this, this hair rock song is the, the theme song. And everybody's doing this, this really, uh, these really crazy dances. And I think what I, what I love about it is it's not just like the main characters that are dancing, but like, mm-hmm the neighbor guy that lives next door to the peacemaker's dad and the janitor that he talks to for two minutes. And like the whole, the whole, like the, the, the wife of one of the characters who's been in the show, a total of like, you know, a minute and a half, like everybody's just sort of like in this musical number dancing together. And it's, it's really funny. I love sort of like this letting loose a little bit and embracing the inherent uh, absurdity of superheroes when they first started coming out, especially like before the sort of Marvel era mm-hmm. um, or the sort of the MCU era, there was obviously an absurdity to it, but some of them took themselves very seriously, you know? Oh, yeah. Like, I would even say like the original Batman, like a relatively serious movie. Oh, you <laughs> like, mean like this though, the, the Michael Keaton Batman? Yeah. Like yeah. going back and looking at some of them, like there was an attempt to make them somewhat serious, despite the fact that it was ridiculous, you know? Well, it's sort of and, a an effort to grapple with how do you depict this thing that's inherently silly on screen in a way that's believable and they leaned into yeah. sort of the seriousness of it but yeah, yeah. it's kind of camp you know it's mm-hmm. there's there's this and i guess it there is kind of a, a structure with kind of old musicals right where it's like here's this sort of extravagant number and then there's a little bit of exposition and plot and maybe maybe like the action scenes like take the place of some of that musical but it, it definitely feels like an old musical well and i think that's an interesting comparison between the action scenes and like music because mm-hmm. i feel as if the precursor to these action scenes really is some of these really heavily choreographed musical numbers mm-hmm. um you know, it's, it, it, and I think the, the goal with them is to make them look natural. But, you know, when you really start to watch, 
like especially if you watch behind the scenes like these are choreographed down to the millimeter to make sure people mm-hmm. are safe and that it looks realistic and it you know it it, it owes a lot to uh like broadway musicals all right so i want to bring up the writer's crusade which is this book about um kurt vonnegut that came out i was reading reading about that the article you sent me it looks really good i'm gonna i want to read that like i knew a little bit about vonnegut's life i knew that you know he was in Dresden, mm-hmm. and that's kind of for anyone that doesn't know Slaughterhouse Five. You know, it, it has a lot to do with the bombing of Dresden. Vonnegut was actually there as a POW, and mm-hmm. so Slaughterhouse Five has a character who's a POW in Dresden. So it's very much partially autobiographical. Yeah, it's sort of like he it has a fantastical take on it. The characters, yeah, um, being kept in slaughterhouse five, number five which is where the mm-hmm. book gets its title um and he becomes unstuck in time during the bombing and mm-hmm. ends up on another planet in an alien farm and <laughs> yeah but it's it's the absurdity of it is sort of the point mm-hmm. what's interesting about this book is it shows that vonnegut wanted to be a successful writer he had huge ambitions right like he wanted to be successful and it really drove him and his early work when it wasn't well received it, it really hurt him you mm-hmm. know and so the book kind of shows like how how he like was so dogged in pursuing success and how that book he'd been working on for 20 years. I mean, it wasn't published until the late 60s. Wow. Um, and so it kind of shows this these different sides of his personality and kind of what what ultimately led to this this creation, which made his career. But it also speculates that, you know, he had PTSD, you know, and really mm-hmm. tries to tries to look at the that as a frame, like how PTSD how PTSD works and kind of um, how that how it could have explained um, his choices in writing mm-hmm. Slaughter, Slaughterhouse Five. So yeah, I would I would recommend picking it up. It's really interesting. And Vonnegut's just if you if if dear listener, you have not discovered Vonnegut, I would absolutely recommend picking up just a random Vonnegut book and reading it. They, they, he, he's written some really fantastic ones, and um, the sci-fi sort of premises of them belie. The, the the more serious issues that he's dealing with under the mm-hmm. uh, under the surface, and he's just an amazing writer. And I'll, I'll just say, I rarely am affected when a celebrity dies. It's like, oh yeah, that sucks, but I didn't know him. But when Vonnegut died, I guess I had always had like this image in my head of somehow meeting him, <laughs> and like, oh, I don't get to meet him. <laughs> like he just had sort of that personality that came through his books of, yeah, like you could picture yourself hanging out with him. Yeah, so I wanted to talk about the Our Birds Real movement. Um, have you heard about this? I have heard about it, uh, and I, I don't know a ton about it, but I I, I feel like it's a, it's like such a perfect Gen Z thing. It's yeah. Like, go ahead. T- tell so, me about it. So the crux of the movement is that, um, or no, so it's not Our Birds Real, it's Birds Aren't Real. And the idea is, the, the absurdity of it is is the point. And so there's a whole like subreddit and subreddit subculture about this. It's sort of like you said, a Gen Z thing. And they're questioning whether birds are real. And what they say is what you see are actual government surveillance devices. And they charge on power lines, which is why birds are always charging on power lines. (laughs) And uh, it was founded by this guy, Peter McIndoe, who was after when Trump was inaugurated was at one of the was near one of the counter rallies for the women's march and just was like marveling at the 
like the absurdity of it. So he flipped one of the posters around and wrote birds aren't real. And that was kind of the start of it. And it's interesting because, you know what? I read an interview with him and, you know, he was basically saying, oh, we try not to ever get so realistic that people could actually go down the rabbit hole. Like the, the point is to sort of make fun of these crazy conspiracies that are believed by so many people, whether it be about Donald Trump or about like scientists for some reason making up global warming or, you know, there's, there's all these weird things that weird mental gymnastics people have go through to justify their worldview. But, you know, I also was thinking, you know, I think that we're going to genuinely have a group of people that come of age believing birds aren't real in the same way that (laughs) flat earthers are still a thing. Like, (laughs) do you think that it's, do you think that the, this, this sort of framing or this approach, um, do you think it can have a bigger impact? Like, I I know it's getting some press and some of the images I've seen of kind of the founders like out in the field, but they have like a van that says birds aren't real. And it's like, like there's, there's, to me, there's kind of like a, like this play on propaganda and play on the media and obviously there's there's a part of it there that's like about making it seem cool and fun and aloof and and appealing to people who get the joke right but i mean where's the power in in using this to really like change minds i'm wondering how effective it can be as a tool for really like breaking down some of those channels of miscommunication and uh, i I totally agree these conspiracy theories that people believe are already so absurd that fighting them with more absurdity probably isn't going to work Mm-hmm. but I think it's a, like a psychological reaction to them. Like it's, it's sort of a way for, you know, these young people to say like, are you serious? Like, yeah, you believe this, what is wrong with you? You know, the, the stuff I've heard spouted from people close to me, you know, some of these things that they believe is, it's just nuts. And, you know, I think the whole movement, the, the really, wacko segment of the movement supporting Trump. You know, I went to Texas mm-hmm. recently and it's like, you know, people there are really believing a lot of this stuff about how, you know, he's on, he has this master plan and he's about to come back. And, you know, mm-hmm. there's even talk of like Kennedy's going to come back from the dead and like inter- in, introduce him as the, the new savior of America. Mm-hmm. And people are posting on Facebook about how he is an incarnation of the angel Uriel <laughs> like this mm-hmm. is just it's absolutely batshit and mm-hmm. yeah i think the internet we we thought it was going to be the thing that really illuminated the truth right mm-hmm. like now everyone has all the power in their hands and i think i think it's actually i mean obviously it's broken down like what is the truth right because it's it's you can essentially create a different truth whether it's <laughs> the intrinsic truth or not you can create these narratives that people can latch onto and there's no real way to once they have like tapped into that there's no real way to like cut it off because you can't take the internet down it's yeah like it's like if you cut a cut a root of a tree another root grows around it you know i don't know i, I but I'm, I'm curious like what in sort of a post-truth society when any truth can be true <laughs> or when anything can be true right mm-hmm. and there's no real way to stop it like how do you counter that through absurdity Maybe, maybe not. Maybe, maybe we just get to the point where the whole thing collapses in on itself because it's so, the whole thing is so absurd. (laughs) Well, Neil Stevenson wrote in the fall about a future where there's so much garbage on the internet that 
people can af- who can afford it hire essentially curators who will go around mm-hmm. and curate the 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 news and the, the 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 basically the internet window to the world. And so, if if you're lucky enough and you can afford it, you can hire a curator and sort of get a real view of what's happening. But for everyone else, mm-hmm. it's just sort of all nonsense all the time. <laughs> I mean, do you think there's just going to be a segment of people who just decide to just log off? I'm not talking like people who like our age who like remember a time when there was no internet. Like we sit here nostalgically and we're like, oh, you know, it was better when we were growing up because we mm-hmm. can just go out and play. Yeah, but like I'm talking like people who've lived with the internet forever that make a conscious choice to just leave. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I definitely think so. You know, I think you see these tech companies that are pushing more and more immersion right? Mm -hmm. Mark Zuckerberg wants to promote his metaverse. And Google has had their uh, augmented reality glasses. And, you know, Apple is working on a lot of similar things. And, you know, at a certain point, I think there's going to be a rejection. And there's going to be a split between the people who really dive headfirst into the technology and the ones that reject it. And I think that's going to be the real social division in the future. Mm -hmm. The metaverse to me is the thing where I'm just kind of I don't I don't care enough. <laughs> like the way that it's manifesting, I guess there's probably as with anything, there's there's like probably amazing stuff that's happening. But then you have these examples like that video I sent of the Walmart um and their their meta meta experience where you while you're waiting for your oil change, you can do some shopping through your Oculus and it's just <laughs> like what like why? Like at a certain point, it's just kind of like, like, I just want to like sit in the real world and not think about any of this stuff anymore. <laughs> yeah. Well, at what point does the real world become too painful for, for people? Mm-hmm. You know, I don't know. I don't know. All right, my friend. I will talk to you later. Cool. And this has been Planet of the Goblins. The Meerkats are David Garrison and Neil Fries. Our theme song is by the one and only Tawny Frogmouth. You can subscribe to Planet of the Meerkats wherever you get your podcasts, and you'll find links to all of our social accounts at planetofthemeerkats.com. We're trying to send a little old-fashioned positivity into your ears, so your support means a lot to us. Thanks for listening. <laughs>